0: Thanks Mark, let's thank Mark for reading that. He's pretty formal. You did the King James version, let us pray. It was awesome. Um, hey Jesse, could you stand up for a minute? If I had hair, this is what I would want. I'm just saying, Jesse, that is, that is amazing hair. I'm just saying, I had, to, I had to call it out. I saw you worshiping it, like, is that Jesus over there? Anyway, I know them so I can mess them a little bit. Uh, It's good to be together this morning, and we continue a series called God is With Us. And I just want to do a review for some who maybe weren't here last weekend, but uh, walking up to Christmas is always kind of an interesting thing for a teacher uh, that we've taught it for so many times, and there's this same story about God sending his son, Jesus, there's Three wise men, there's shepherds, you know, it's the story. But what happens to us, like a lot of times, is that story is heard over and over and over. And I think in a lot of cases in our culture, it loses some of the impact, some of the emotional impact of what it meant. The word that we're drawing from really is the word what's called Emmanuel. It means God is with us, God is with us. And you hear that all throughout Christmas, but this isn't the first time that you would hear this term. Hundreds of years before Jesus' birth, it's prophesied that therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel. Now, This is a very striking thing when we talk about this word Emmanuel and the idea that there could be a God that is with you or with us. If we were to go all the way back to Old Testament culture in that region in that time, we would understand very quickly that a lot of the cultures had pagan gods and religions and they would have gods that they would carve out of stone and marble and different precious kind of stones, but they would carve these ideas or idols of what they thought that god would be like. But it was never that the god that they were worshiping was connected to them or with them. There was always this idea, as we kind of even read in Greek mythology, that this God was distant. He, he, was, he was far off. And that they'd want to please this God, this God that was distant and far off. And there was not a very personal connect. So when the Israelites are freed from Egypt, even just the process of being freed, remember there was the plagues, And there was a sense and a rumor starting a ripple effect throughout the world. These Israelites, their God isn't a carved statue. He is not distant. He is with them. This is so profound in that time, the idea that there is a God that lives with them. Now, if you go to the Old Testament, you will find this term Emmanuel and this concept that God is tenting with them. It means God lives amongst the tabernacle. If you remember that the Israelites are a new nation. Now it's interesting, if you're going to start a nation, if you're going to start a country, how would you start it? You'd probably pick a land, right? You'd probably select a government and a key leader. You probably would select a military. know that the Israelites had none of those things. no land. No formal structure of a government, no military, not even really a plan. It was, let's go, we're going to cross through the Red Sea, now what? And there they're left with this idea that God is with them. We see as they wander for 40 years, they're wandering for 40 years, and there's this this reality that they have this ark They don't have a carved statue because God said, don't make idols, don't carve things that you think represent me. But there's going to be an ark, and in this ark of the covenant is going to be my promise to you. Now, if you had such a a precious religious artifact, you would think as you were marching around the region throughout the desert for those 40 years, that you would protect it. You might put a garrison of soldiers around it, or you'd put it in the back. No, what the Israelites do because of God's instruction it's always in the front. It's always in front. It's always to represent that God marches with them, for them, in front of them. Even in some of the battles that you'll read throughout the Old Testament, you'll read that as the nation of Israel is conquering some of these pagan villages and towns and cities like Jericho, there is a fear because they sense he really is with them. He's with them. So in the Old Testament, we have this concept that He is with them. He tents with them. We know that the tabernacle is the tent that they would set up, and His presence was like fire or a pillar of, or a cloud or a pillar of fire. There's this this representation physically of His presence. But then we see Jesus come on the scene, the promised one. No longer is it just a fire or a sense of God's presence. It's God in human form. It's fully God and fully man, and it's Jesus Christ, and he walks with them. And then you have Jesus' death and resurrection, who he defeats death, and he says, I'm leaving another one greater than I. And that's the Holy Spirit who now is in us. God tents with us. He lives and walks with us. Now he lives in us. That, this is a huge concept for us to understand. And revolutionary to the time period. It is why we're focusing in on some of these stories that Jesus models for us of what it's like when God invades our lives and he's with us and in us. And how Jesus begins to enter into the normal, real lives of people. It's not a distant God. It's a personal God that connects and so you see this, uh, this artist rendering of, of the tabernacle. Could you imagine living in Israel, in the desert, knowing that you didn't know when you were going to pack it up and move. It was God for God to tell them when it was time. But they would have this tent of the meeting, and it was the Holy of Holies, and see that radiant light coming out of the Holy of Holies. They just knew God was there. I mean, to, to know and see visibly God's presence I know some of you come on Sunday mornings here and, and say, I felt it. I feel God's presence. It's, it's a powerful thing, and I, it's one of the videotapes in the video room in heaven I want to pull down and just watch. It wouldn't have been amazing to have one of the tents, I think, on the border. I, I don't know how you'd sleep. God is with us. It is with this that we start the story this morning, I want to tell you of a land called the land of wandering. It's called the land of wandering, it's a real place. It's opposite to another land called the land of purpose or the land of the path. You see what's interesting about the land of wandering as many might forget is we all came from that place. We all lived in the land of wandering and the land of wandering borders this land of purpose or this path and when you're found and pulled on to this path of purpose you begin to walk and you can see the land of wandering clearly all around you and this land of wandering is filled with people and so over time as you walk this path of purpose you might start to begin to forget and many I think do forget about the land of wandering around them and just move on with their head down on the path thinking nothing else of them except just the next step they're taking on their own. Others though on this path they start to look at the land of wandering and they kinda people watch. They look up, they flip on maybe the news and see the programs about the people in the land of wandering and how bad it really is and only kinda just say well I'm glad I'm glad I'm not there anymore. There's another group that walk this path of purpose and they guard because they want to make sure that none of these wanderers wander onto the path. I mean that would just be wrong, right? How can we have wanderers on the path? That would just that would be mixing two different lands and two different worlds. Let's just guard this and make sure. There's some that just sit on the path and point at people about how wandering they are, about how lost they are. The reality is this land of wandering is a place that we all came from, but we have different postures this morning about where we may sit. What I love about this illustration is that we worship this morning a God, that we, we claim the name of Jesus Christ who enters our wandering who doesn't simply sit on a path and wait or point or shame or guilt, but enters into this land of wandering. Jesus meets us there. He met you there. No matter what your story is this morning, Jesus met you in your wandering. And that's the beautiful part of the God we serve. In Luke, Jesus will talk about this concept throughout his ministry on earth, Jesus says in Luke 19, today salvation is in this home. He's talking about Zacchaeus, a tax collector. One of of the worst thought of, one of the most sinful, most wandering. If we talk about the land of wandering, they're a wanderer out there. No way you want to be a part of that person's life. Jesus says, here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham, for the son of man came to find and restore the people on the path. The perfect. No, he says Restore the lost. The word lost is interesting. Sometimes I think cultures today, we, we start to get a little bit worried about the word lost, like that's derogatory. Friends, Jesus uses these words with intention. Having lost something means it was yours in the first place. Jesus recognized fully well that God has created all of us, everyone, and that for some sinful way, they've found themselves in the land of wandering, and he is here to reclaim their wandering, to bring them back. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. This morning we hear a story that Mark read from John chapter 4. Now Jesus is going to use a group of people that it's hard to find a cultural uh, equal to, to what you're going to experience this morning or understand this morning about the Samaritans. Now Samaritans were a people group At first worshiped the idols of their own nations, but being troubled with lions, believe it or not, they supposed it was because they had not honored God of that territory. Because the Israelite inhabitants of Samaria had intermarried with foreigners and adopted their idolatrous religions, Samaritans were considered, it's a derogatory term, but it's what they used, half-reeds. Mixed in with Jewish culture, they, they intermarried with other pagan people. Apart from their, So if it was Babylonians, they might have married a Babylonian and brought in some of the Babylonian pagan gods. And so for Jews, they, were dis, they despised the Samaritans. It goes really deep. We find that later on, they're gonna, the Jews are going to rebuild the temple. And, and so the Samaritans, it's this land of Samaria, because they've been kind of, they kind of huddled together in a region in Jerusalem, or in, in, in Israel. They want to put money towards the project. They want to be a part. And the Jews say, no way. We don't want your money. You're less than. Now, we could try to make some comparisons. Could it be like when, when Hitler was putting Jews in ghettos, in prison camps, and torturing them horribly? Maybe there's some similarities. Could it be like racism in our country that still exists in some form today? There might be some of comparison to that. But, but it's a little bit unique in that they were considered unclean to the point of, if you look in this diagram, you see Galilee in the north and Judea in the south. Judea is where Jerusalem was. If you were a good Jew, you probably traveled to Galilee and Judea both uh, quite a bit because there was a lot of Pharisees were trained up in Galilee. You'd come down to Jerusalem, obviously, for temple and worship. But there's this land of Samaria in the middle, and so what do you do? Well, as a Jew, you would never walk through Samaria. Now, Jesus will use the Samaritans as even parables and illustrations like the Good Samaritan. He will purposely throw this out to the culture, confusing them. You've got to understand, this culture right now thinks of these Samaritans not just as wanderers, the worst of the worst. Don't even associate with those people. You ever done that? You ever met somebody who's, who's so evil or sinful that you just said, nope, uh, let's stay way far away from them. Come on, kids, let's, let's stay away from that group. Jesus is going to address this group in a very unique way. And so in John chapter 4, we find that Jesus uh, is obviously having a very flourishing ministry. But look at verse 4. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. He leaves Judea, somewhere in Jerusalem, wants to get back to Galilee. He decides, no, I'm going to go right through Samaria. Why did he have to go to Samaria? Well, it wasn't because it was the only route. He had many routes. It wasn't because he had, like, in his planner or his, you know, eye calendar, he had some appointments. But he did, didn't he? The, The divine one, the holy one. The God of the universe that meets us where we're at decides I'm going to go to their home, their place. I'm going to go to the wanderers. And so he comes to this town of Samaria called Saqqar near the plot of the ground of Jacob. It's a very significant place, this Jacob's well. But Jesus goes there. I want to just stop for a minute. Jesus goes where people live. Friends, I'm going to make some application along the way to this story because it's a powerful one. But if truly... You know Jesus this morning. You've given your life over him. You have, you've been found from the land of wandering, and you're on this path. You are then to model how Jesus lived, and it's not just on a path, but it's a compassion for the wandering. And Jesus goes right to where they live. I think sometimes as Christians, good Christians, we sit around in our church services, very religious, and we wait for the wanderers to wander in. And we wonder why they're not here. Maybe because we're not going to where they live. Jesus will model this throughout the gospel. Throughout the different gospels, you'll find that Jesus goes to tax collectors' homes. And he doesn't just go to their home. He says, bring all of your wandering friends. Jesus does this. Jesus goes right to where people live. I think sometimes we wait around for in the church, we wait around for the pastor, because the pastor has all the right answers, right? Wrong? You know the pastor will fix it all, or I'll wait to somebody who has the gift of evangelism. Have you thought, just thought, maybe, just maybe. God is sending you not to have answers, not to save them. Not one of us in this room saves anyone. It is Jesus alone. But maybe, just maybe, he'll use you. Jesus goes right where people live. Verse seven says, then when the Samaritan woman came to draw the water, Jesus says, will you give me a drink? Not only does Jesus enter Samaria, but he goes to a well. A well is a modern day Starbucks, right? Um, It's a necessity for people to have their Starbucks, right? I mean, it's uh, life-giving. If you don't have that, who knows what will happen? I know some of you about Starbucks, believe me. You have to have your coffee. In a third world, it's very important to have a well. A well uh, drilled in, in locations that are closer for people because women largely carried the water and went to the wells. And so if you can shorten that distance in modern-day third world today, if you shorten that distance, you increase the ability for them to upgrade their standard of living. Uh, the, The women can stay home and begin to do more with the home, prepare the meals, spend time with the kids. I know that's not normal America stuff, but that is third world. And the women are the ones that went and got in the water as the men worked. And so you find here that Jesus not only goes to Samaria, He goes to a well, and he knows he's going to be around a lot of women. As a good Jew, you wouldn't do this. You would not hang around a bunch of women, and you would not talk with them. Jesus knows this, and he says, will you give me a drink? His disciples were not around at this point. They're going into town to buy food, and probably a good good thing, because Peter... As we know, who can stick foot in mouth probably would have done a really good job in this moment, right? (laughs) Jesus, wait, wait, time out. You probably don't know this. You're not supposed to talk to women. We're not even supposed to be here, right? So this Samaritan woman says, uh, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. I'm a half breed. I'm the one you despise, and I'm a woman. How can you ask me for a drink? It's amazing when you go to where people live and you begin to engage into their world, the barriers that start to break down. I know that when you know, Damien, Danny, and Eric and I went to Angola and just going to this prison facility, they're shocked that you're there. I've been to our prison down here off of Webster. They're shocked that you're there. I know when we take teams to Haiti, I, it's, it's not like we're, we're all the answer for everybody, but there's something about moving into the spaces about where people live changes everything. You know when you let somebody in your home, that means something, don't you? When you enter into a home of a wanderer or somebody who doesn't have their life all figured out, So the Jews did not associate with these Samaritans. It says in verse 10, Jesus answers, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have never, or you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is beginning to do something and he's entering into a conversation. He's purposely entering into a dialogue with her. It's not so much that, notice what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus doesn't all of a sudden. Woman, I am Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, here I am. He doesn't go through some expository preaching. Hey, I'm going to give you an Old Testament passage, and here's the Hebrew words, what they mean. Learn it, memorize it, repent. I mean, he could have done that, couldn't he? He, he could have done any at that at moment, but he chooses not to. He enters into a conversation. Paul talks about this. Paul in Colossians. It's our theme verse for our church. Pray for us, that we might have this opportunity to speak forth the mystery of Christ. Pray that a door opens. Jesus is full aware that he is who he is. He knows who she is already. He already knows where this is gonna end up, but he enters not only her life there in her land at that well, but he talks with her. A real conversation. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw With, and this well is deep. She's confused now. Where can you get this living water? You talk about living water. What is this? Are you greater than our father Jacob? She's confused. And Jesus knows this. And I love that Jesus, not in a, a negative way or a shaming way, is he playing with her mind. But he's, can you just tell? He's drawing her in. He's drawing her in. I love having conversations with people in the land of wandering. I love having conversations. I've been in a conversation for about a year and a half with a guy that it was not about faith in the very beginning. It was about a lot of other stuff, but it was a conversation. I went to where he lived. I went to where he's at. began to, to continually unpack. We're not there yet, but doors opened. And about a year and a half, a door opened when he said, Can we talk about faith? Yes. Jesus is doing this. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be be thirsty again. He's talking about the well, the physical water. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never need thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a a living spring of water welling up eternal life. And the woman's like, all right, you sold me. I hate walking here. Give me this water so I don't have to get thirsty again. I don't have to keep coming here. Jesus is asking deep questions. I just wanna stop and push the pause a little bit here and say, when we think about us as the church that are to be living like Jesus and, and we claim Jesus for our own in our life, that he's transformed us and changed us. And if that's really true, how can we look to the land of the wandering with people that we love? the friends that we love, family that we love, and not long for them to have that same purpose. And you could just see the heart of Jesus so longing to return what was lost that he's willing to not only go where they live and, and break cultural boundaries. I remember growing up, and I, remember my, I can remember vividly my mom saying, hey, you can go there, but don't go to that person's house. My mom had a good heart, but it was, I mean, rightly so for us kids. It's not safe there. Jesus goes into these spaces, and not only that, he has a real conversation with a real person around their real issues. And it begins to probe. I love to the point of the conversation where I can ask somebody eventually, hey, so tell me your, your story did you grow up here? Yeah. Did you go to a church? Did you, do you have a faith story? What? And then usually it's a chuckle and a laugh. Oh, yeah. Can I tell you what I sense in, in our culture in Green Bay that's in some ways very paralyzing to our culture? We have a very religious culture. We have religious wanderers or religiously lost people. Uh, there's so many people I meet that I've met in our culture today here in Green Bay that have do everything in religiously. They've done all the religious check the boxes. But they've not drank the water that Jesus is talking about. They don't know him. They're religiously wandering all about as if they have purpose, but they don't. Jesus began to, to, to probe and to... to sink a little bit deeper with this conversation with this woman. He tells her, go and call your husband and come back. I love this line. Jesus is even willing to have relationship with this woman further and her husband, saying, oh, I want now to invite a conversation and a relationship with your family, whoever this is. Let's continue the dialogue. Let's, I'll make the invitation. She says, I have no husband. And obviously Jesus knows that She's sinful. That she's not living a life that's honoring. Notice he doesn't go there first. Let's go back to the beginning. He shows up at the well. Woman, you have way too many husbands. You're in sin. Here's the verse in the Old Testament that gives you that. You should move away from that. Now give me a drink of water. He doesn't do any of that. You notice that? How often is it that we become religious... And we start to fill our heads with so much. Pathwalkers can, there's a dangerous thing to pathwalking and not looking in the land of wandering. Because you can walk the path with your head down so much. Pastor, give me more information. Give me more Bible. Give me more verses. Give me, give me, give me. And all of a sudden, you lose perspective about that land. And you become self-righteous. And it's about what you know. No answer you have will save people. It is Jesus Christ alone that saves people. We just get the chance to share what he's done in us and give that account. She says, the woman says to Jesus, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship, worship is in Jerusalem. And he begins to say, "Woman, there's going to be a place where all of us worship once. Right now, there's two places of worship. The Samaritans have their own mountain, and because they were not allowed to be with the Jews, and so they have to kind of adopt some forms of Judaism and 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 what they're uh, in their culture and their land a little bit different. If you look at it deeper, but Jesus said it's all going to be aligned. And then verse 25, the woman said, "I know that Messiah. Isn't that beautiful?" I didn't say this in the first service. I just need to say this. Gosh, sometimes we as Christians can be so hurtful to our own. There are a lot of churches in Green Bay that I don't agree with. What do I mean by that? I don't agree with some of the think- thinking in theology and teaching. But they fly under the flag of Jesus Christ. And if they're going to preach that, I'm for them. I'm for him. Doesn't mean I have to agree with everything. It means I'm for them. I know that Messiah. Listen, she knows of it. She's waiting for Jesus. She's waiting for him. She doesn't have it all right. We just heard the Samaritans don't have all their 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 faith practices in line. They've got even some some idol worship in there. And you know what, truth be told, we do too here this morning. We probably have our own idols we have to keep breaking ourselves of and our own habits. I know that Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Can I just get your imagination eyeglasses on? When we get to that videotape room in heaven, this is one I want, another one I want to see. Can you imagine this next line when Jesus says that? Just imagine yourself at the well, and all of a sudden... Him saying, I, the one speaking to you, am He. Do you remember when you were found in the land of wandering? Do you remember when that first time you heard, I am He? I am the one. Jesus reveals Himself to this woman. He gives that grace and forgiveness. And can I Let me say it a different way. Right now, I just read the latest article about 42% of Muslim women that are coming to Jesus Christ have never opened a Bible, have never heard a preaching, have never heard one of my messages by the way. <laughs> have Not heard any pastor through dreams. Through dreams. Jesus doesn't need us to save people. He needs us to be willing to move into this land of wandering. And to love people. To have conversation with people. To wait for a door to open. And to begin to reveal the testimony of God in our lives. He he doesn't need us to fix the world. He needs us to be Jesus as he's called us to be. So later on in the passage, the disciples come back and they're in shock, That obviously going through the drama of, oh my gosh, you're talking to a woman, Samaritan woman. Well, look at this, the woman goes back, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Because of the woman's testimony. What is a testimony? Some call it your story. And some of you get convicted like, I don't really have a good story. I don't have like, I was laying in a curb, you know, overdosed on drugs. or I don't, I don't have this story that other people have. Yes, you do. You were found somehow. And it's, A testimony written on your heart, but it's not a testimony until what happens? It's spoken, it's told. In some ways, some of you have never shared, so you have no testimony until you give it. That means she gave it. She went and said, I am going to tell you what happened. And she gives her testimony. He told me everything I ever did. When the Samaritans came to him, they actually, now she leads them to Jesus. She brings them back to see him. They urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. So Jesus not only enters into this place Christians don't go, land of path and purpose people don't go, he hangs out with them to do days. Hey, bring all your buddies. I'll hang out with you for a couple days. And because of his words, many more became believers. The, they said to the woman, hey, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Your testimony was the beginning. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. I mean, This morning, we're talking about the idea of Emmanuel, a God with us, a God that enters into our wandering, no matter where we're at. Spurgeon will say, though, Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. So if you're a pathwalker, let me change the words. You're either someone who is sharing their testimony or you're an imposter. You're pretending you're religious because how could the god of universe pull you from a land of wandering and you find hope and purpose and you not share that I think we have a lot of religious wanderers in our culture today and church you have to know there are plenty of seats in green bay and i'm not talking about the stadium i'm serious there are tons of seats open on Sunday mornings with churches that preach the name of Jesus Christ. And why aren't they filled? Because we aren't moving into the Samarias. Because we aren't sharing that testimony of the hope that's within us. And no wonder people don't want to show up. Because we become pathwalkers so long we forget what it was like and we shame and we guilt. We point fingers and we cross our arms and we protect Keep those bad people out. Keep those wanderers out. In some ways, we're not very different than the Jews in that time towards the Samaritans, right? It's a great story. It's a real story. We're either missionaries with this great testimony to move into the land of wandering, or we're imposters. Jesus will say this again in Matthew 9, in the message. I love the the version of this in the message, Jesus overhearing religious leaders who are pointing and saying, how could you eat with sinners, says this, who needs a doctor, healthy or sick people? That's not like a trick question, right? Obviously, you don't go to the doctor if you're healthy. (laughs) I like it his next line, go figure out what the scripture means. Go spend some time, your own quiet time, you need a little bit more quiet time. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm after people who are willing to step off of the path, not in their own life, but moving in with people that don't know me, moving away from just what's comfortable and safe and Christian. I'm here to invite outsiders, wanderers, and not coddle the insiders. Isn't that a great line? I just think it's a great line. We gather every week, not to coddle. Not to just, all right, you survived another week in the land of, of lost and wandering, of Black Fridays, right? The hedonistic shoppers. I bought a TV. I'm right with you. We're not here to coddle that. We're here to be reminded of the testimony that God wrote in your life when he pulled you from the land of wandering. Just a couple challenges. Could I have you think about? Jesus moved where the wanderers were. Go where they live. Go where they live. Maybe it's a missions trip, but you don't even have to go that far. Friends, we have Samaria right around all of us. Engage in real conversations. Please, 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 please do not play Christian answer people. Jesus is not asking you to have the right Bible verse here. He's asking you to have a real conversation with people. Start a dialogue. Where are you from? What do you do in your life? Why are you at this well? Why are you at this Starbucks? You know, every week. Or La Java, Sorry. Ask deep questions. We're so fearful of going there, aren't we? We're so fearful of of crossing that threshold of asking a deep question. And I love when I get to that point of saying, hey, what's your faith story? And then that's the chuckle. That's the uncomfortable. Oh, well, I don't really, I don't believe in religion. And I love, well, I don't either. Yeah, but aren't you a pastor? Yeah, but I hate religion. and then reveal the hope, there's that chance where you get to say, I don't have all the answers, but I can tell you the testimony of what he's done to my life. I'm in a conversation like that right now, I told you. A guy for a year and a half, and you know what? I don't have enough answers for him. What I do have, I'll tell you the hope in me. I'll tell you what he's done to me. As we go to communion this morning, The scripture writes very clearly as a warning, Paul says do not take the communion if there's not an authentic relationship with God. Don't use the table as a form of religion. Otherwise you drink judgment upon yourself. There's a passage in the Bible that talks about this. It's quite scary because it says, Paul says, I think some of you are falling asleep. You know that's a nice way of saying, some of you are dying and some of you are getting sick physically. Now I don't know if that happens, but I know that there is a a warning. Don't leverage the table as a religious check-in-the-box. Go to it with a newfound sense of perspective. That there is a God that lives with you and I. And he reached you and I in the land of wandering. And as you take that cup and that bread, you might look at one another and celebrate the fact that he found you. And then maybe ask yourself this question, where is your Samaria? Where is it? Let me even drill down closer. Who? Who is your Samaria? Who are the people in your life, faces right now, whether loved ones, neighbors, maybe even people you don't even know their names. But they're people that are Samaria. And maybe the Spirit is leading you to finally move out towards them. Father, we want to graciously thank you for sending your Son to live with us. Father, that he might defeat death and that we have him in us. And Father, as we take the bread and the cup, might we be reminded of a God that resides in our lives through the Spirit, And the power of that, God, writes a testimony in our lives that needs to be shared. Might we, this church, our city, grow more compassionate about the land of the wandering. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.